Not everyone's going to be represented in every newsroom, but as journalists, we need to know how to access or hand over the microphone when it is appropriate to give voices to different people. Professional organizations and associations are not a new thing in journalism. They promote ethical standards and best practices. They're also there to provide support and advocate for better coverage for those whose stories are often ignored or go untold. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Since its founding in 1990, the National Lesbian and Gay Journalists Association has been advocating for unbiased coverage of LGBTQ issues in the media. As a professional organization, NLGJA's membership is made up primarily of journalists, students, educators, and communications professionals. Sharif Durham's is the senior editor for news and alerting at CNN. He's also NLGJA's national board president. He joins us today to talk about that organization. Welcome to the podcast, Sharif. It's great to be here. So first of all, how did you get involved in the association? Well, you know, the association is going to have its 30th anniversary in 2020, and I am nearly 20 years in the organization. Time flies. I had my first professional job in 1999, and I remember hearing about the organization then, and kind of as a newly minted professional journalist and someone who's exploring how to be out in a newsroom, I remember going to a colleague who I suspected was gay and asking him, so are you going to be out of town this week? And where are you going? And all of that to try to find out about the organization. But joined as a member then, quickly became involved and became a chapter president in the Carolinas where I grew up and have stayed involved as either a chapter president or a member of the board ever since and just seen a lot of change and growth in, in LGJA. So what is it you liked about the organization? You know, I like the camaraderie. I like that there was a place where we could discuss issues of our identity in newsrooms and what value we were able to bring to, to newsrooms, where we could discuss issues that just aren't generally discussed. And, you know, on all sorts of subjects, journalists are just being more and more squeezed for time because of the deadline pressures, because of the changes in the industry. And there are fewer of us, frankly, who are in traditional kinds of newsrooms. And just being able to take out the time and say, hey, these issues are important. There should be journalists who focus on the issues that we raise in newsrooms and that we could serve as a source of expertise for these issues and to kind of learn ourselves as, you know, I'm a gay guy. That means I might not know about lesbian issues. I'm a black gay guy. That might mean I don't know things about other elements of the black community or other communities or the trans community. And, and, and there's an opportunity within NLGJA to learn. And so it brings me a lot of joy to be able to bring focus to these issues and to help mainstream news organizations to get better at them and to also be very supportive of our queer and LGBTQ publications and bloggers so that those voices can be heard, and it's not just the mainstream voice of a large news organization that is speaking for our communities. So tell me what it was like, you know, back, you said 1999, 1998, around that time you, you became a journalist? Exactly. Yeah, so tell me what it was like back then to be a gay journalist. Well, you know, the industry was so different back then, and, and I've always worked in mainstream newsrooms, but, you know, a lot of the discussion back then was, would some of these large news organizations have policies that recognize that they were going to treat LGBTQ people the same in their policies? And were they going to have insurance policies 
that included us and our partners. That was a big industry fight that NLGJA led and helped a lot of the mainstream um, television and newspaper at that time, newsrooms, adopt. So if you were to Google and, and find when some of these large companies adopted those policies, it's because of advocacy of NLGJA. So that was a big issue we were dealing with at the time. And just since then, things have changed so much. Just, you know, looking at policies of newsrooms, are they using appropriate language to describe our communities? That became a focus. These days, a lot of the focus is on trans issues and coverage that even large news organizations don't know. And so we get calls and information from large and small news organizations in terms of getting terminology right, getting coverage right. And it is just a different kind of challenge than we faced 20 years ago. So how would you then contrast that to sort of our current state now of how newsrooms are? You know, one would hope or, you know, I think kind of what you sort of touched on, things have changed. Things are better, I guess, but probably still things need to be done. Yeah, I would say things are generally better, particularly in coverage of a lot of mainstream LGBTQ issues, right? You have Queer Eye on TV, um, you know, starting 20 years ago and then the revival now. We're just so much more in the mainstream media that news organizations have figured out we need to get some of the basics right. And many of them have adopted stylebook policies based on NLGJA's stylebook or based on advocacy of our members in their newsrooms. So we've gotten those advancements. Some of the challenges are with trans issues that are just becoming in the mainstream. News organizations are starting to ramp up their coverage of the trans community. And unfortunately, we've been dealing with so much violence against trans people and so many trans deaths where people can't speak for themselves. And we have had to school news organizations on making sure they get the terminology right, making sure they deal with issues when the police misgender someone, and making sure that they might be diving into a story in a well-meaning way, but making sure that they have the information they need. Part of the challenge is that mainstream news organizations have gotten so much smaller and smaller that the reporters who are doing some of these stories are drowning. They do a quick turn and they move on to the next thing, and they don't necessarily have expertise on a community or who to reach out to. And so we try to be that expertise, someone that they can bounce thoughts off of to try to help them improve their coverage. I know I was going to ask this a little later, but I think we're kind of talking about it right now. You know, one of the resources that NLGJA provides is a style book on LGBTQ terminology. Why was the creation of that was so important and how can journalists use it? You know, it's critical because, you know, there are organizations out there that will chastise news organizations and deservedly so when they get things wrong, when they misrepresent our communities. That call out needs to be out there. And we as NLGJ are willing to do that. But there's another piece of it where we want to be inside newsrooms, helping them determine their policies so that they get things right on the front end. All news organizations have style books and they are kind of the Bibles and go-tos of how they're supposed to use language. Newsrooms don't perfectly use their own style books, but having information that is said to be correct in their style book gives them a, a kind of a North Star to look to. And so NLGA wanted to make sure that all of these mainstream newsrooms had a style book that gave them guidance from other journalists 
not from activists, but from journalists who are coming to them and saying, as professionals, we're not advocating for this because of a cause necessarily. We're advocating for it because it is accurate and a fair way to cover things. And that has made a lot of these news organizations receptive to what we've had to say. For instance, with Chelsea Manning, when she officially announced her name as Chelsea Manning, newsrooms were looking around to figure out what to do. And NLGA immediately put out a press release to say, hey, she says she's Chelsea Manning. That is how you describe her. That is her name. This happened to be during our convention. And the next day, the editor of the New York Times was speaking at our convention. And she said, well, you're in LGA. We, I know who you are. And I was handed this press release on my way here. And I said, OK, that is immediately the New York Times policy, because I know you all are journalists. And I know you all thought this through. It's that kind of ability to connect that has been very valuable. Um, one thing that we're finding, though, is that as the industry has changed, um, you kind of have to be able to get out in front of people. You can't just have it in a sterile style book. You have to be able to reach out when a story is going to be covered and pull out that piece of the style book and say, I know you don't have time to dive deeply in here, but this issue might come up if the Supreme Court is covering a case, if there is a debate over a policy going on in a state legislature. We're going to pull out the information that you might need and put it in front of you so that you get it right the first time. So that's become a key to what we're doing as well. Yeah, I like that a lot. The idea that you're actually, you're journalists, you're, you know, communications professionals helping other professionals do their jobs. You're advocating, but not, this is not, you know, hey, we're doing this because of we want to foist whatever this particular agenda is. This is just good, you know, practice for, for our, our profession. Do you feel that because you're a professional organization made up of journalists and communications professionals that, you know, newsrooms listen to you, that they're very open and receptive to, you know, ideas or criticism or feedback that you might provide? Yeah, I think they hear the message differently. And, and you know, as I said, I think it is critical that we have both, right? We need people to be called out um, when it's merited. Uh, but being able to go and say, okay, as people who are interested in this issue, but aren't, who aren't calling you out right at this moment, we can help you do this correctly in the future. Or if you want to come to us beforehand, we're going to give you an assessment based on our professional understanding of these issues because we're involved in these communities, because we've already done some of the outreach that you might not have done. Uh, we can give you guidance in that way. Uh, now, not all of our work is focused on um, mainstream newsrooms. We obviously work with the LGBTQ press. We've grown so much in our bloggers um, and are able to give them guidance as well. And we are also able to learn from those different communities in order to kind of help all of us inform each other. But it, it, they do listen to us differently because of how we're bringing the issue to them. Okay. And, and I'm, glad that, I'm glad that you sort of draw a distinction between, you know, mainstream media, bloggers, the LGBTQ press, that, you know, these are different organizations. They have, have different approaches to these subjects and maybe even in some ways serve a different readership. I mean, you know, a more general, you know, large newspaper, large newsroom is going for a wider audience, you know, audience that may not be familiar with a lot of the, the ins and outs of the, you know, LGBTQ issues. Crafting stories to make those stories relatable is kind of, kind of key, I guess, in helping them to understand what these issues are and why they should care about them. Let's step back a second and talk a little bit about mainstream media versus 
the gay press. Is it difficult for sort of large newsrooms to sort of get the, you know, the fine details in covering a LGBTQ issue without, you know, presenting it in a straight white male perspective? And if so, then how, how does your organization help to sort of address that? You know, that, that's a good question and a big challenge and a challenge of intersectionality. So first of all, you have to acknowledge that there's a lot of blurring, right? You know, news organizations started blogging and copying what bloggers were doing years ago. You have so much venture capital funding that has gone into funding different online queer press where people have been hired from mainstream newsrooms to do that kind of work. So there's a lot of blurring going on. But to your question, whether these news organizations are having trouble. So first of all, we do have to acknowledge that there is a balance in attention. Sometimes to talk to the readership that some of these news organizations have about our issues, we have to use different language that those audiences are going to understand, right? And to be able to follow along with us. Or we have to just be more descriptive of who people are and where they are rather than using some of the terminology and language that we use within our communities. On the other hand, what we're trying to do overall, and not just on LGBTQ issues, is to get more nuanced stories where we understand these communities. So we do want voices from different communities speaking to their own issues in the mainstream press. We do want to not just try to imagine, you know, a suburban white mother as the audience. And in fact, if those happen to be the readers, to bring them inside the world of the different people who are being covered or who are given the license to speak for themselves through these news organizations. We're getting smarter about this and we're going to make stumbles. You know, as someone who's worked in mainstream media my entire career, we stumble all the time at it. But we're getting more and more conscious of the fact that we need to have these voices in our newsrooms and in our coverage and have it done authentically. Do you feel that there's mobility for LGBTQ journalists in newsrooms? Or, or are they only all just, you're going to be the, the blogger who's going to write about these issues? To sort of speaking to your, your comment about you know, getting these other voices in the newsroom, you know, the idea that you, you want to have these people helping to make some of these decisions, writing about issues that may not be 100% LGBTQ, but have impact all communities in different ways. I think we are, and I, I think we have historically. The challenge is, are we vocal when we get into these roles, right? Are we talking about our issues? And in fact, when it's, you know, me in a room, Am I bringing other voices into the room? Am I bringing trans voices into the room? Am I bringing a diverse cohort into the conversation and saying, I might not be an expert on this, but maybe I can be a connector to someone who can speak to these issues? I think that's what the key is. Uh, you know, Not everyone's going to be represented in every newsroom, but as journalists, we need to know how to access or hand over the microphone when it is appropriate to give voices to different people. The nice thing about NLGA is that we are chipping away at that. I mean, if you looked at our organization 20 years ago, it was a more white, more male organization and more mainstream, you know, gay male organization. Through the work of some of my predecessors, and I'm trying to advance this work, we're bringing more voices in and we're having people who represent those voices lead conversations. And I think that 
changes the perception of what we are. It changes minds within the organization. And it gives us all resources that we can tap, people we can go see when we're not at a convention to help each other make our coverage better. That that's what we all need. And I think news organizations are coming around to the realization that they need those voices if they're going to keep people's attention. Yeah. And, and I think that the sort of the uh, ecosystem that we have right now, where you have people who are blogging, who are writing specialized columns, who, you know, run certain social media accounts around different types of stories that, you know, people sort of recognize those reporters. And, you know, I was talking to my niece about this. She was telling me that one of the reasons she she reads Slate a lot is, you know, there are several, you know, gay or lesbian columnists that she reads who talk about themselves, who talk about their lives, who talk about news stories, but from their perspective. And it's not so much about this is a you know gay or lesbian story. This is this is a story about a human being. This is how this my personal experience, my life, how I interpret it, and how how it impacts me, and it makes it very relatable. And that's something that she likes. There's opportunities for for that kind of nuance, you know, in different aspects of this ecosystem. Yeah, and that nuance was always there in news coverage. It was just always the nuance of you know, a white guy or, or, you know, later a white woman who is straight. And the nice thing is that we're slowly but surely getting more voices in there to be seen as the quote unquote neutral voice, to be seen as the quote unquote normal and therefore kind of expanding who can feel that they're connected to these news sources and news organizations. And I know we're pushing on that front. Some of the organizations for journalists of color are doing so. The organization for journalists, women in leadership are doing that work and we're working together on those things when it's appropriate. And so that just gives us an even stronger voice in saying, gee, nice story, but we need more perspectives in this story because the story changes when you bring different voices into it. Yeah. You know, despite some of the things that are going on in the national dialogue, I, I, you know, I'm very hopeful you know, that there are younger people coming in who, with certain expectations about their content that they're reading, about the voices they, they expect to sort of see in that. And, and I like seeing things going in that direction because I think that's going to make us all, it's going to make this all much, much better. Uh, certainly much better coverage, much better news and much better society out of this. What do you see as, you know, for the, the big issues going forward in the next five, 10 years for your organization? You know, to the point you just made where you said, despite the, the conversation, I mean, and part of it, frankly, is because of the tenor of what's going on. There are a lot of people who are saying, oh, my goodness, this is happening. I never thought America was going to be like this, where there are other voices saying America was kind of always like this. It just wasn't vocalized. And, and so because we're seeing some more of those voices, we're kind of seeing where things had been kind of covered up or glazed over before. Now, in terms of what we're going to see over the next five years, I think it's still going to be a lot of mainstream media struggling to make sure that it is covering the communities and our communities in a nuanced way. We're going to have to get better and better at that. We're still going to have to help find new business models. I mean, my concern is about local journalism and making sure that everything isn't just some national voice, but that we see that man, there are trans people in this community. There are people of color who are queer in this community and their voices need to be raised too. And it's not just something you see on TV or in national media. 
And that's going to be a huge challenge because local news organizations, the large ones, are strapped in terms of funding and finding a business model. So we need to find other ways to make sure that the last five journalists in some mainstream newsrooms aren't just of one type and speaking from one voice. We need to make sure, A, there's a funding model for this kind of journalism, and B, that when that journalism is funded, it has an array of voices in it and not just one kind. We're talking about the future and sort of the sustainability at different sort of levels. What are your concerns about, you know, the ongoing sustainability of the LGBTQ press, you know, that may you know, have smaller targeted audiences? Do you think that that's, that's still healthy and is still sort of continuing on? Or do you have concerns about that? I mean, it's a huge challenge because, you know, you, you had an explosion of bloggers and then a lot of funding that came in to give national voices to a lot of talented journalists. And the problem is that the funding model of venture capital giving money for any kind of journalism seems to be drying up. And so some of these voices that we've gotten here over the past few years can't get funding for their organizations to continue. And so where do those journalism organizations go? Where do those journalists go? We need to make sure that those talented people still have a platform to be able to talk about these issues. And I have a little bit of concern about that on a national and international level, and I have a huge concern about that on a local level. And that's kind of where the fight needs to be fought. Yeah, I think every journalist has some concern about what's going on in the local media you know, strata of our industry about what's happening there and, and how we, you know, I think everybody recognizes that's so important and that so the problem needs to be solved. We're just, we're just like, please, let's get it done. Let's, let's figure this out because it's so important to, to everybody to have good community news, you know, just local news, but also about the local issues that you're concerned about, like the ones that, that your, your group advocates for. So how can, how can people find out and get involved in uh, NLGJA? Sure. Well, uh, you can go to our website, NLGJA.org. It's the Association of LGBTQ Journalists. We're going to have our national convention in New Orleans over Labor Day weekend. If anyone uh, wants information on that, they can go to the website. We would love to have you there. We're going to have a huge crowd there and, and a lot of excitement. We have major events every year in D.C., New York, and L.A., and we have chapters all over the country. But I would love it if you were to go on our website, contact me or contact our, our staff. What we want are more voices involved in making decisions. And so if you have ideas for things we should cover, or if you see bad coverage out there, particularly news coverage and not opinion coverage, we would like to know about it and see if we could help those newsrooms do better. So please um, visit us at nlgja.org and help us do the job that you you want us to do which is to make news coverage better sharif this has been great i'm gonna let you go you're a busy man over there at cnn thanks for taking a few minutes uh, of time to talk on our, our podcast thank you so much i really really appreciate it you've been listening to it's all journalism a weekly podcast about the people who make the news you can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com while you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. We also just posted the results of our online survey about journalism resources. Check out what tools some of our readers are using to make good journalism. 
Everyone who took our survey received a free It's All Journalism mug. If you'd like to score a mug of your own, take one of our surveys. Go to itsalljournalism.com to learn more. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode. Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emilio Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>